God made Adam male, he made Eve female, and the full intention of God was that each of them act in keeping with what he had assigned. Throughout scripture, biological sex and gender identity are always identical. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. What does it mean to be created in the image of God? Hello, I'm Bill Wright. Today, Tom has part 11 of his 16-part series titled Trending Versus Truth. As you'll discover today, part of being made in the image of God means affirming his two-gender design. He created humanity with just two genders, male and female, for human flourishing. Anything outside of his design is sinful and destructive. But why? And how does the Bible supply the truth to support human flourishing? Let's go to Tom right now for some answers here on The Word Unleashed. I want to begin with the biblical truth about sex and gender. I'm going to give you a series of propositions and support them with Scripture and, uh, and so let's launch in. Here's what the Bible teaches about sex and gender. Number one, God created human beings in his own image. Go back to Genesis chapter 1. In fact, let me just encourage you to sort of keep your, your finger there, or your marker, whatever it is, in Genesis 1 and 2, because we'll come here often. But in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 we come to the sixth day of creation. And it says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Now the two phrases, in our image and according to our likeness, are not making two separate points about humanity. Rather, it's a Hebrew way of saying something intensively of expressing the same reality in two different ways in order to emphasize it. So verse 26, the first part of it, can really be translated like this. Let us make man in our very image. That's the idea. What is it to be made in the image of God? Well, as you know, there's a, a lot that can be said about this. Let me just reduce it to the two aspects that are usually included when we talk about man made in the image of God. First of all, there are natural capabilities, natural capabilities, things such as rationality, personhood in the same sense that God is a person, moral responsibility, a capacity for relationships as there exists within the Trinity, and the capacity to serve as God's vice-regent in subduing or ruling the earth. All of those things are part of those natural capacities that God gave to mankind to be made in His image. John Calvin puts it this way, the image of God extends to everything in which the nature of man surpasses that of animals. There's a second aspect though, not just those natural capacities, but also spiritual endowments. When God made Adam and Eve, He gave them certain spiritual endowments 
that were part of what it meant to be made in his image. Now, obviously, with the fall, that, that part of the image of God in man was terribly marred, as theologians like to say. It wasn't completely destroyed, but it was, the image of God was terribly marred, and these spiritual endowments were chief among them. What are those spiritual endowments? Well, it's interesting. If you look at what happens to us when we come to Christ, it helps us understand what those spiritual endowments were. Colossians chapter 3, verse 10 says, We have put on the new self who is, listen to this, being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. In other words, when we come to Christ, some of what constituted the image of God in us that was marred at the fall begins to be restored. And so, by determining what is restored in Christ, we can read back and determine what was lost. And so, what was part of that spiritual endowment that was the image of God? What we lost, I think Charles Hodge says it well, was original righteousness. That is, there was a knowledge of the true God. There was righteousness, meaning moral rightness toward others. And there was holiness, that is, a a right relationship with God. All of those things were lost or terribly marred and destroyed at the fall, but they are restored in Christ. So when Scripture says then that we were made in the very image of God, it means with those natural capacities that distinguish us from animals and the spiritual endowments of a true knowledge of God, righteousness, and holiness. So God created all human beings in His own image. A second biblical truth about sex and gender is that God created humanity in two genders, equal as persons, but distinct as male and female. Now, the moment I say that, sadly, I realize that in today's world, there may be no more controversial statement that I can make, but you need to understand, particularly those of you who are younger, that this is the view that has dominated human history. Now, understand these temptations and sins have always been around, and there have been pockets and places where they were more expressed than others, but nevertheless, the predominant view of human history is this view that I'm teaching you. Only in the last few years has it become increasingly questioned. For example, in a recent opinion piece in the New York Times, the writer argued that, quote, listen to this, biologically speaking, so now we're not talking about gender identity, your subjective feeling about your sexuality, but biologically speaking, the author writes, there are many gradations running from female to male. Along that spectrum lie at least five sexes, perhaps even more, end quote. Now, I have several questions for that author, but the chief one is, who says? I mean, where does this come from? What is your authority for saying this? But the bigger question for us is this, why as Christians, in light of the changing times in which we live, do we still believe that there are only two sexes? And the answer is, because that is what the Bible clearly teaches. Look at Genesis chapter 1. Verse 26, then God said, 
let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So, so God gives mankind dominion over this planet to rule it, to use its resources, to steward it. And then that's, that's God's determination in verse 26. In verse 27, you have the execution of that. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, there are a couple of observations there in verse 27. The first one is, I, I want you to register this because, you know, we live in a world that is so flawed in its thinking that we can easily be influenced by it. You know, I, you've heard me use the expression before, it's like a fish, you know, a fish doesn't know it's wet because it's so surrounded by the water. In the same way, we can live in a culture where we're not even aware we're being influenced by it because it's so much a part of the air we breathe. But I want you to notice, first of all, there in verse 27, that it is not sexist to refer to humanity as man or mankind and to use male pronouns for all humans. Why? Because God himself does it. God himself repeatedly uses the Hebrew word for man to refer to all humans and God uses the male pronoun to refer to all humans as he does in verse 27. So don't buy into your culture. This is what God has said about the human race. Secondly, I want you to notice in verse 27 that God does not make man in different kinds as he did the animals. Instead, there is one kind distinguished as two sexes. That's clearly what verse 27 teaches. Male and female, he created them. Go over to chapter 5, verse 1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them, male and female, and he blessed them, and notice again, he named them man in the day when they were created. When you come to the New Testament, you see that our Lord affirms these concepts. For example, in Matthew chapter 19, verse 4, Jesus says this, Have you not read that God who created them, listen to this, God who created them, from the beginning made them male and female, end quote. So this is God's doing. Now, God made, designed men and women to be different. And as we'll see, he assigned us different roles. However, please note that men and women are equals personally as persons and spiritually before God. We are completely equal as human beings made in the image of God, spiritually and personally. That's what Paul says in Galatians 3.28. He's talking about our relationship to God. And he says, in virtue of our relationship to God, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, that verse has been distorted in a lot of ways, taken out of its context, but don't miss what it does teach. 
It does teach that personally and spiritually, men and women are completely equal before God. Different roles, we'll get to that. But there is that reality that we were both made in God's image. One kind in two sexes. A third biblical truth about sex and gender is that God designed the differences between the two sexes for human good and flourishing. On the sixth day of creation, after God made Adam, but before he created Eve, God makes an interesting observation. Go back to Genesis chapter 2. Now, let me just point out that Genesis 1 is an overview of the entirety of creation. Genesis 2 is sort of a, a review of creation with a special focus on the creation of man. So you have to sort of understand how the two connect together. But here we are in chapter 2, verse 18. It's during the sixth day of creation, after Adam's been created, but before Eve's been created. And notice the observation God makes in verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. It's not good for the man to be alone. That's in the middle of the sixth day. But at the end of the sixth day, after God had created man as both male and female, notice what God says. Go back to the end of chapter 1, verse 31. God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was what? Very good. It was very good, and there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. In other words, God saw that it was not good for there just to be Adam, but when he made Eve, when he made the female sex along with the male sex, then he said, it is very good. It's very good. So he made it. He made the distinction, the differences between the two sexes for human good and flourishing. Number four, in eternity past, God sovereignly determined every person's biological sex and at conception assigns the corresponding chromosomes and reproductive structures. Look again at Genesis 1, verse 27. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And obviously, he's talking here on two levels. On the one level, he's talking about all of humanity. But he's also talking very specifically about two people, Adam and Eve. God made Adam male, and God made Eve female. God assigned each of them individually their biological sex, and he gave them each the corresponding physical makeup and anatomy. Now, obviously, today, God doesn't create each child born in the same sense that he created Adam and Eve. Instead, he uses the process of reproduction that he did create, but God, and don't miss this, God still superintends that reproductive process in order to accomplish his desired outcome. I can take you to so many places in Scripture. Let me just give you one. Genesis 18, verse 10. The Lord said to Abram, I will surely return to you at this time next year. Twelve months from now, I'm coming back, and behold, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Before Isaac was conceived in Sarah's womb, God had already determined that Isaac would be male. And again, 
I could show you passage after passage after passage where the same thing is true. God decides before a child is ever conceived. In fact, as the eternal decree says, God determined everything that he would do in eternity past. He decided every person's biological sex and then at conception assigns the chromosomes and reproductive structures. The fifth biblical truth about sex and gender is that God intended every person's biological sex to dictate their self-conception as male or female. In other words, biblically speaking, there's no such thing as gender identity separate from your biological sex. Look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 21. The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. In other words, he says, here's one of my kind. You know, here, here are these animals. They're each made after their kind. Here's, here's someone that's my kind. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. There's a word play there in, in Hebrew, ish and ishah. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother, be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. What I want you to see in this passage is God made Adam male, he made Eve female, and the full intention of God was that each of them act in keeping with what he had assigned. And they did. Throughout Scripture, biological sex and gender identity are always identical. That's why God forbids men and women from trying to appear as the opposite sex, Deuteronomy 22, 5. It's also why God forbids sexual involvement with the same sex, Leviticus 18, Leviticus 20, as we saw. So don't miss this, folks. When God determined our biological sex in eternity past, and when he assigned us the corresponding chromosomes and reproductive structures at conception, God intended that we would accept his sovereign decision and identify exactly and only as what he himself made us. Number six, God sovereignly determined that you would be male or female. Let's make this very personal. God made this decision about you. He decided in eternity past what you would be, male or female, and he at conception made that happen. Look at Psalm 139. I read it a few minutes ago as our scripture reading, but I want you to look at it with me again. Psalm 139, verse 13. David says, For you, God, formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth, using poetic language, obviously, to capture what's going on in the womb. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. David says, listen, everything about me, including who I am as a male, was designed by you, God. You created me. You wove me using the reproductive process in my mother's womb. And the same, brothers and sisters, is true for you. And God expects you to accept His sovereign decision 
and to live in light of who He decided you would be. So there's the biblical truth about sex and gender. Let's go on, secondly, to consider the biblical truth about men's and women's roles. Men's and women's roles. And again, I'm going to give you a a list of propositions, and uh, you'll have to struggle to keep up with me, but, but I want you to have this, all right? First proposition about men's and women's roles is this. As creator, God alone has the right and the wisdom to define the nature of manhood and womanhood, and He has done so in His Word. I don't get to decide what it means to be a man. You don't get to decide what it means to be a woman. There's No, God is the only one who has both the authority and the wisdom to tell us that. He made males and females different by design, as we've seen in these two passages, Genesis 1 and Genesis 5. That means God had a design in mind. And as the designer, only He can tell us what men and women should be like. And he's revealed the nature of manhood and womanhood as he designed it in his word. A second biblical truth about men's and women's roles is this. Satan and our flesh tempt us to reject God's design and to pursue a different standard for men's and women's roles. This is universally true. Satan and the world system that he created constantly seek to undermine marriage and family as God designed it. I mean, it goes all the way back to the garden. You remember what he did with Eve in Genesis 3. What happens there? He says, no, no, I know God said that, but let me let you think about that a little differently. Let me challenge you to reconsider that. What Satan always does, folks, is he he tempts us to substitute human reason for divine revelation. It happened in the garden. It's still happening today. Well, but I think, respectfully, let me say, who cares? Okay? This is Satan's temptation. Here are some current unbiblical ideas about roles that I think Satan and his system are spawning in our culture. See if you've been influenced by any of them. Refusing to acknowledge obvious physical and psychological differences between the sexes. That's just obvious, folks. And that's how God made us. It's not, it's not sexist to recognize those differences. We are different by divine design. Overtly criticizing and ridiculing the opposite sex. Boy, that is so popular today. If you find yourself in your mind or with your words ridiculing and criticizing the opposite sex, you are, you are taking issue with God the Creator, asserting the inherent superiority of your own sex. This is a universal temptation as well. But realize that is not thinking like God. God made us male and female. We are different by design. Appreciate those differences and realize that we are personally and spiritually equal before God. Assign different roles. Give up the whole championing your sex thing. Denying the distinct biblical roles that God has assigned. We'll talk about that in a moment. Identifying the primary purpose for the differences between male and female as sex. Listen, we live in a world where we are bombarded with the idea that the only reason men and women exist is for sexual gratification. Let me just say to you that God is not embarrassed about sex. He created it for the good of His creatures. 
It's a good gift, but it is not the ultimate purpose of marriage. What is the ultimate purpose of marriage? Genesis 2.18, it is not good for man to be alone. It's companionship and for help for assisting one another in the issues of life. Mistaking the primary measure of your manhood or womanhood as the time you spend and the success you achieve in your career, there's a big one. It's a lie. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part 11 of his series, Trending Versus Truth. Tom will have part 12 for you on our next program. Join us then, won't you? Well, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. Plan to join Tom Pennington this summer, June 24th and 25th at Countryside Bible Church in South Lake, Texas, as he introduces The Word Unleashed's first annual Faithful Stewards Conference Series. Faithful Stewards is designed for pastors, elders, teachers, and church leaders. But even if you aren't in one of those categories, you're welcome to attend. This year's theme is Loving Christ by Feeding His Sheep, a reflection on our Lord's challenge to the Apostle Peter, as found in John chapter 21. There's no cost to attend, but registration is required. June 24th and 25th. Go to thewordunleashed.org to register. You know, The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do that by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.